0: And thank you for tuning in to the Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle. Uh, I use she, her pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at RedtailTalk90. And my co-host is
1: Jade. Hi, I'm Jade. You can find me on Twitter at JadeOxfordRose, and I use they, them pronouns. Uh,
0: so Animorphs Uh, was a science fantasy children's book series written by Catherine Applegate and her husband, Michael Grant, uh, together under the pen name K.A. Applegate. Um, Basically, they decided that they wanted to start writing a book series of their own, um, and Catherine said that she wanted to write something with animals and turning into animals and like being able to see things from the perspective of animals and michael was like hey that's a sci-fi premise we're gonna need some aliens um so (laughs) they uh they got into that it became a i would i'd say it's fair to say it became kind of a smash hit um it was published by scholastic um and published between june 1996 and may 2001 uh currently the book's are out or the majority of the books are out of print. They did um a re-release with lenticulated uh covers uh a couple years ago um that kind of they stopped after eight books. Um but the rest of the books are kind of out of print. Um it was published monthly uh so just at a hugely uh fast pace. Um Each book is told in the first person uh, by a different narrator. Um, They have the really recognizable uh, book covers of a person turning into an animal. Um, They were designed by Dave Mattingly. Uh, In the end, there were 54 main range books plus four uh, megamorphs, which were like super thick main range books. Plus four Chronicles, which kind of went into some of the history of the different um, species in the, in the books. Plus two's two choose-your-own-adventure novels, but we're not going to talk about those because they suck. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they only did them because Goosebumps did them. And they were like, oh, well, now we have to have a choose-your-own-adventure novel. You don't. Stick to what you're good at.
1: Um, this is just the first of the blistering hot takes you can expect on the Escafille Files. <laughs> like, brace yourselves, folks. Yes, blisteringly
0: hot takes. <laughs> um core themes in the book so so the thing about animorphs is that the people you talk to who didn't read them or only read like one or two books generally they're like oh yeah that's the that's the series where the kids turn into animals yeah that's kind of cool and then the people you talk to who actually read all of them are like oh my god that book those books ruined my childhood like because the core themes the novels are like horror War, dehumanization, morality, innocence, leadership, freedom, family, growing up. Like, um, you know, light topics. Light topics. You know, the really cool thing about Animorphs is that uh, K.A. Applegate, Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant both approached children's books from a, a perspective of... You know, we're not going to treat you with kid gloves. like we're writing from the perspective of kids, and we're taught and we're putting things in in uh, kind of simpler terms, but we're not going to pretend like you can't understand this stuff. Um, and that was something that like I mean, I didn't notice it when I was reading it as a kid, but it definitely was different from some other books, some other children's books, because like, I could tell that um it, they they weren't talking down to me mm. <clears throat> um several actually a whole lot of the books in the middle of the series were actually ghost written <laughs> um because again uh at any given point they were only 6 months from publication um that cuz they had to publish them monthly um the uh Catherine and Michael wrote one through 24, number 26, number 32, and then the last two books, uh, 53 and 54, along with all of the Megamorphs and Chronicles. Um, but the rest of the novels were ghostwritten. And part of part of why they did that is because they wanted to include other ghostwriters because they got their start ghostwriting. Um, but the majority of that was just they couldn't keep up with it and have any semblance of a life and sleep mm-hmm. um and so generally they would give an outline to the ghostwriter and the ghostwriter would write it and send it back and then they would do edits on it um sometimes that meant that the book was so edited they might as well have written it themselves <laughs> but um it, you can tell the ones that are ghostwritten because the characterization becomes a little wobbly um and the stories become less important in a lot of ways they're very Mm. much um like bottle episodes Mm -hmm. um
1: i think i'm using that term right um or like filler episodes yeah like very self-contained plot wise it doesn't have much bearing on like the long form story
0: yes yes um Although occasionally, like number 33, you get a couple in there that are pretty important. But anyway, uh, we're starting at the beginning with book one. We're going to be making our way through these books one book at a time. We're going to also be doing the Megamorphs and the Chronicles. Um, We're going to be analyzing the themes. We're going to be talking about how they make us feel. Probably I'm going to be talking a lot about that. Um, And how they stand up to, you know, time. And sharing the experience with our friends. We're actually, or I'm, uh, we are trying to make this kind of a collaborative experience uh, with um, friends of ours on Discord. Uh, every once in a while, we'll be bringing them into the call in order to hear their take on things. Um, but also, we're we're making it a bit of a book club. We're posting discussion questions, asking for questions in return, um, and seeing... Uh, You know what else other people have to add to the conversation uh the fun thing for me is that uh the majority of the people in our discord server have not read this book or these books uh which mm, (laughs) the schadenfreude is good (laughs) (laughs) um i'm very excited (laughs) <laughs> uh, but if you want to join that discussion uh, check out the link to our discord in the uh, description of this episode uh, come join us It's when you join it it's going to say the chat room where it happened because it's the room where it happened discord the room where it happened is an actual play podcast I am a part of this is not really kind of a subsidiary of that really it's just part of the same podcasting guild that us and our friends over at Follow the Leader have started. Anyway, let's start with, uh, hey Jade, how familiar are you with Animorphs?
1: Okay, so this is one of those things, um, before we uh, hit record, I was saying, I am, for all intents and purposes, a-, a newbie, but I remember reading a few of the books over scattered points, but I think like a lot of people, what I really remember about animorphs is seeing the covers uh in my library and also like the scholastic book fairs are a thing here in the uk as well oh that's awesome so every so often we'd have them there and i think judging by how much i did not remember but also felt familiar. I'm wondering if the reason why I never massively read the animal books was because the right volumes were never in the library mm. and I could never bring myself to read them out of order. <laughs> yeah. Because autism. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> no, I, I, I mustn't. Which is ridiculous because I, I was a babysitter's club person and I happily read those out of order. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was one of those things. Where I always thought they sounded really interesting. But I never just sat down and read them. But I don't think any of my friends were massively into Animorphs, which the fact that I know so much about the books or seem to know so much, just I clearly read them at some point. i uh, looking at when they were released, starting in 1996. So I was 10 years old. So I was like the mm-hmm. right age. And I have very clear memories in my head of being at my local library and seeing some of these covers and going, huh. Oh, there's number three. Oh, well, I (laughs) guess I won't start reading them today. Um, (laughs) And that's where we are. But it's one of those series that feels very like of, suppose, the millennial generation. Like like you were saying earlier, Danielle, everybody seems to know something about Animorphs of our sort of age, Mm -hmm. whether they were into them or not. But um, really, I want to know about how you got started reading Animorphs uh and your sort of relationship with these books. Yeah. So I don't remember
0: how I got started on Animorphs. I'm sure it must have been because of a scholastic book fair. Um I was when I started reading them, I was I was a reader, but I wasn't a uh I wasn't devouring books like I would after I started reading them. Mm. Um and I think it must have been the Scholastic Book Fair because they that came through pretty regularly, and I was able to order them. And once I started them, then you know my parents were kind enough to just continue to buy them for me. Um, and it's it's interesting because I I remember being struck by some of the books like really deeply, and others you know, barely remembered. I don't think I even finished the books right away. Um, You know, I... uh, Because at some point I dropped off and then after the last book had been out for a while, I went ahead and picked up the last couple and read them and cried for hours on my couch in my living room. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the... The thing about it was that as a kid reading it it was just fun um and i loved it and it you know it informed all of the games that i would play with my brother you know like running around the backyard pretending like we're dinosaurs and then pretending like we're morphing into dinosaurs um Mm -hmm. and uh It didn't develop into, like, a a really deep, like, fundamental thing that I recognized until, like, college. Um, because it was just kind of, like, that passing thing that informed several years of my childhood and that I loved deeply. Um, but I hadn't thought about it super much Mm. um and then in college one I met my very good friend Jennifer who uh we first bonded over Harry Potter fan fiction and then we realized that we both read and loved Animorphs um and the rest's history um (laughs) (laughs) uh and along with that I was getting into Tumblr. I was getting into, you know, watching different um, YouTube series. I got it, I saw um, Papa Rana's uh, opinionated Animorphs book guide, which I'm not going to recommend it to you, Jade, because it's full of spoilers. But mm-hmm. if you have read the Animorphs, like all of them, I highly recommend listening to those videos. Um, they start off a little rocky, but they get really, really good and, and, the analysis in them is really good. Um, He actually came out with one like just in the last year or so, which was Animorphs in like the time of now and what that means. Mm. And like I was getting teary eyed through the whole thing because like it's still so relevant. Mm. Um, But as I was getting into this kind of stuff, I was starting to... I was starting to realize that, you know, I actually liked kind of looking at media and if not analyzing it, you know, deep diving into it. Um, and I read a few of the anamorphs again. I never went back through and read all of them all over again. Um, but I've picked them up here and there and reread them. And just like getting into it and diving into it um, in a, in a deeper way, it really hits different when you're reading it as an adult than when you read it as a child, (laughs)
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, because when you're reading it as a child, everything's, you know, it's, it's fun, and there are still a lot of scary things in there, but it's not the kind of scary that, like, that deep, bone-deep chill that you might get as an adult when you're like, oh,
1: these kids are 13, Mm-hmm. The adult fear <laughs> factor, like, yes. understanding just how young 13 is.
0: Yes. Um, the like, like, I know Neil Gaiman has talked about it with Coraline, right? Where mm. children watch Coraline or read Coraline, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is a fun romp. It's kind of scary in, in parts, but for the most part, I'm just having fun. And the adults that watch it are horrified. <laughs> um, but yeah ever since then, I've just gotten more and more and more attached to it. Um it sounds a kind of disjointed and simplistic when I talk about it out loud because it's just kind of like this through line that has been present um, yeah. without necessarily like any super high points that I can point to and say like yes I was definitely a super fan and blah 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 it was just kind of like this thing that had a huge impact on me as a kid and has continued to have a large impact on me as I've grown and I always enjoy coming back to them and learning more about them and thinking about you know what would have been different if and 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 mm-hmm. um
1: I think it's interesting, like, especially stuff that we encounter, uh, like, in our early teens and things like that, because so much of the brain is developing at that point in your lives, like, you unconsciously, like, resonate with themes, and they, uh, it's been proven to happen with music as well, which Mm -hmm. is why you're often drawn to music that sounds like the stuff you liked at that age, and also why when people become musicians, Mm their music often evokes the stuff they liked as teenagers mm-hmm. and when I think about like certain fantasy series and it was mostly fantasy uh there was some sci-fi that I gravitated to and that I read like I was a big fan of like the Tamora Pierce a certain mm-hmm. series of her Tortle books and when I think about how many things in mm-hmm. fantasy I would particularly enjoy that I can see so clearly the through line, Mm
0: -hmm. certain
1: Disney movies that you imprint on. And I feel like imprinting is the way that it it, that's how it feels. Like it feels like baked into your DNA after a point. It's just like I can't imagine a me that doesn't have a feeling for that property and sometimes it's the characters, which I know is something we're gonna talk about more, but you latch on to people just like, oh, this is a me person, or mm-hmm. and because of your attachment to them, mm-hmm. you find yourself, especially uh people like Danielle and I who play like <laughs> tabletop games. Um and uh, this is obviously true of writers as well, but I feel like those of us that like to pretend to be characters for certain amounts of time every week, every month, and you know Maybe turn them into podcasts. (laughs) Who knows? But you can see the certain characters that you come back to time and time again. Go, oh, I'm call uh," like you look back at it all and go, oh, I'm just showing my whole ass. Yeah, whoops. (laughs) Yeah, and sometimes we bake it into our online handles that we use for x number of years, which is me entirely calling Danielle (laughs) rude frankly (laughs) I mean we might as well do it in the first episode and acknowledge yes this is the case I can also see what your discord icon is right now and while I know who it is (laughs) also (laughs) all right so for the listeners at home who
0: aren't already privy (laughs) to everything that Jade is saying right now (laughs) uh the 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 character that I play in the room where it happened, which is an actual play podcast, is a Ericakra. His name is Seer. Those of you who have read Animorphs are like, ha. Huh. <laughs> um. And he's basically he's basically an amalgam of Tobias and Rachel. Like that that's who he is. Um A lot of my characters are are basically Tobias and Rachel with different amounts of each other.
1: (laughs) It's very good. (laughs) It's very Uh, good.
0: Yeah, it's just who I am as a person, you know. Uh, But like, the whole reason that I got into um, uh, raptor education and raptor rehabilitation is because of animorphs. Is because I read this at such a young age. And Tobias was so important to me as a character, um, that, you know, like, red-tailed hawks are my favorite bird. Um, and, like, I have one right now in my backyard, you know, not a hundred feet away, that is named Jesse, um, they're they're a educational bird, but like the whole reason I have them is because of this book series, because it had such a formative effect on me and my love for animals and the way that I approach a lot of animals. It's it's all it all comes back to this, and I think it's exact. You're exactly right, Jade. It's it's an imprinting, um, of of the the things that you really love as a child on you become as an adult i think yeah. that's an excellent way to put it
1: yeah you learn the things that you want to be the people you want to be like um yeah and, it, and it's good i feel like there's a reason why people say oh were you um a goosebumps kid or an anamorphs kid
0: mm-hmm.
1: and like the sensibilities i need to check with august if they're a go- if they were a goosebumps person given their love of <laughs> horror and eldritch stuff so, but like, I was none of these things. As I said, I was a bit of a babysitter's kid and I was also a point crime kid. Um, mm-hmm. And I also liked, um, the, as I said, the, that, partic- that particular set of total books. I've never read the others. I, The set I read, amusingly enough, is the Immortals series, which has a girl with wild magic who can turn into animals. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was I was there with you on a parallel track of sorts. So... <laughs> Okay.
0: Uh, why don't we get into this first book a bit?
1: Let's. Um, how do we want to do that? You have done such a detailed plot summary that I <laughs> added to when I did my notes, and then we have our comments down the mm-hmm. side. Um. Yeah, I guess we'll fi- we, we'll this is our first episode. We'll figure out a rhythm and how how we yeah. want to roll with these as we go. So I think.
0: Um, I think I do want to go with a more detailed plot summary than a less detailed plot summary because alrighty, um I know people like Lindsay might be listening to this instead of reading along um and I don't want them to like miss important plot points because you know alrighty um and uh, we can kind of. Go through it together, or if you want to take point on that because you're going to I'm really interested to see what mm-hmm. you thought was Im- what you took away as important from okay the narrative
1: sure, as I said, I was adding to the plot summary uh Danielle had read the book first, and then I like so many years in my youth, uh like oh, it's two days' time we record. Ah, the deadline is here. Now my executive <laughs> function will be slain and I can do the thing I need to do. To um, be fair, the
0: reason I read it so early is because I thought a recording was that weekend.
1: <laughs> yeah, but also. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can always like trade off on going through the uh, plot summary, yeah. as it were. But um, to start at the start, uh, and the way that all the books begin... Um, I'm going to just read the first paragraph because this is the first episode. Um, my name is Jake. That's my first name. Obviously. I can't tell you my last name. It would be too dangerous. The controllers are everywhere. Everywhere. And if they knew my full name, they could find me and my friends. And then, well, let's just say, I don't want them to find, don't want them to find me. What they do to people who resist them is too horrible to think about. I won't even tell you where I live. You'll just have to trust me that it's a real place, a real town. It may even be your town. I'm writing this all down so that more people will learn the truth. Maybe then, somehow, the human race can survive until the Andalites return and rescue us, as they promised they would. Maybe. And that's how this delightful young adult series begins. (laughs) Yep. and lo- and everybody knows these intros i feel like just like the first name given and no other mm-hmm. details mhm it's just uh, just very good uh, are talking yeah. like um and this is true of a lot of these scholastic book series once you've read a few of them you just sort of like okay how much is the intro spiel cuz like i said <laughs> Babysitters club okay they're talking about the structure of the club duh, duh, okay Here's the story. Here we go. But it's such a great primer for what is going to be happening. Mm -hmm. Like that immediate being addressed by a person and like where shit is clearly bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. So uh, we start with uh, Jake and his best friend Marco playing video games at the arcade at the mall. Jake is bummed out because he didn't make the basketball team uh, like his big brother. This is not the first. uh, This is the first and not the last you hear about uh, (laughs) Jake's brother. Um, And it's just sort of your normal teenage shenanigans. And I know I'm going to be probably bopping about a little bit um, Mm -hmm. as they leave they um, meet up with uh, Tobias, um, who's a kid from their school, and uh, Rachel and Cassie. Rachel being Jake's cousin and Cassie being another girl from school. I think she and Rachel are best friends. Yes. Well, definitely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, in the way of good good kids' books. Um, but this is something that I immediately noticed is um, the way it's described, the difference between Marco and Jake at how they play games. Mm-hmm. And how um, I can't remember the exact phrasing of the book, but how Marco's really good at taking in all the details. So he might not be as good at the game necessarily, mm-hmm. but he understands how they work. Yeah. And I found that such an interesting detail from the jump. Um, I don't know if we're going to talk about the thing that you created and that we also do for funsies playing characters on a podcast.
0: <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So I wrote a game. So we got it. we got into the podcast thing. Uh, my my real life friends and I, we, we started doing that. We met the FTL folks. It was wonderful. Uh, I was introduced to this whole indie role-playing game scene that I didn't know existed. Um, and realized that uh, you know, I didn't have to write just Dungeons and Dragons hacks anymore. Um and I finished writing a game that I had been trying to write for years, which is Idiot Teenagers with a Death Wish, which is, I mean, it's an Animorphs role-playing game. Let's call it what it is. Um, And (laughs) after I published it, I looked with big puppy dog eyes at all of my friends and said, hey guys, (laughs) do you want to play this game with me? (laughs) And they said yes. So the, 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 the project that Jade is, is talking about is Dumb Kids Playing Hero, which is an actual play podcast where we play Idiot Teenagers, idiot teenagers with a Death Witch, which is the Animorphs game that I wrote. Um, and, and my friends all indulge my fantasy of <laughs> being Animorphs. They're very, very patient with me and <laughs> my geekery but it's very good
1: Danielle's being very self-deprecating she wrote a very good game um, <laughs> I was not one of the original people on this game I listened to the first 16 episodes and messaged Danielle just like so if you ever need like a guest player on your game I think your game's really cool can I maybe come play your game? <laughs> <laughs> I was about that coy about it as well. I uh, know <laughs> I'm a part of the the game until you know something animorphs esque happens to my character, and you know. But um, why the reason why I brought it up so subtly, as is my way, um, is because of the playbooks, in it are, cl- are inspired by the uh, the sort of archetypes, the character traits of the original group of kids in Animorphs. And what is interesting is how quickly and how efficiently Applegate establishes the sort of people these children are. There's Mm -hmm. a certain economy of storytelling um, that you get in YA. And I've not read a lot in recent years, but you get such an immediate feel for who these people are, like Jake talks about meeting Tobias in his first meeting of Tobias is Tobias being picked on by two other bullies, and he just describes the visual of tobias's hair like swirling around the toilet bowl mm-hmm. and what's interesting is Jake doesn't intervene in oh no he does he does he does he yeah. says he, he does say something, and there you go, and that's establishing that um. And the text as it's described, as we meet up with Tobias and Rachel and Cassie, uh, who decide to come. you get Jake's imp- uh, Jake describing who these people are. And you know, that let, let's hop over to you at this point, because I've <laughs> talked a lot now, like. Uh please. Yeah, so
0: the really the really, really cool thing about these archetypes that you've picked out is that It gets established early on that not only do these kids kind of sort of already have these archetypes, but very quickly they establish these archetypes with each other Mm. and kind of push each other further into those archetypes. And like the group functions frighteningly well when everyone is acting within their archetype. But if ever there's one missing, Or if ever, like, someone tries to step out of their archetype, things begin to fall apart. And so you end up seeing this, like, this growing uh, pigeonholing of each of the characters. Like, Marco becomes more and more and more the strategist. Um, You know, Tobias becomes more and more, like, the, the loner who is trying desperately to prove his worth. Um Rachel becomes the berserker. Um and her uh her stories. Uh we won't get into that yet. We've got um,
1: 64 episodes to get we've into. I so many.
0: <laughs> so um, many. And and you know Cassie is the heart. She's the one who reminds everybody of their morality and and is the one who says like, "Hey, if we do that, it's bad.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and everybody else is like, yeah, but it's it's literally a war. And she's like, yeah, but also is there literally any other way? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, And one thing that we find in this book is like Jake is. From the outside, he is a little almost bland. Mm. Um, You know, he's he's like. The almost like the token white dude like middle class white dude Um, but early on in the book Tobias comes to him and and says hey you need to do such and such and such and Jake is like why? and Tobias is like well because you're the leader and it it points it out in the book um, I think I think it happens then. It may have happened at another point. But, like, from that moment on, Jake is the leader. And, like, it watching him grow into that role is fascinating. Because mm-hmm. he goes from, like, this kind of sort of almost bland person, like, you know, he's, he's a kid, um, into literally a terrifying general. Um, and I can't wait for you to see that evolution because it's, it's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, we get mm-hmm. s- hints of all of these character traits right at the beginning, just like you said.
1: Mm-hmm. Like uh, we like Tobias's way of noticing things and being mm-hmm. a little bit aloof. Rachel having this fierce strength. Like one of the first things Jake says, just like I would never tell Rachel <laughs> <laughs> that I would never say that about her. And um, when he says about cassie and rachel walking home with them um because you girls and all rachel's like excuse um <laughs> and it's great um one little thing while we're talking about the way the characters are introduced um because this is something that um shannon mentioned when uh, Dan- uh daniel uh mm-hmm. read the first one and kind of bounced off it a little bit um, as a lot of as a way, uh, as is the way of a lot of young A, I think at the time, and this I do think is to the credit of Kay Abgate. Is it's very colorblind. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, when you get the description of Cassie um, as being the opposite of Rachel, and she is the only person described with an ethnicity mm-hmm. in this, and while that can be a little jarring, which I believe is a comment that Daniel made just Mm -hmm. like why is that she's the opposite of the pretty girl and she's black just like good instincts kid we like you and your style what i appreciate about it is one they wanted to make it clear she is a a black girl Mm -hmm. and also when we think about the roles that these characters get to be and cassie being a young black woman who gets to be the heart of the group Mm -hmm. she gets to be soft And it's so often we talk about now with representation and the sort of roles, uh, particularly black women, are forced to be in. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I find that maybe a little ahead of its time. And then we have Rachel, who is going to be this berserker, who is like the glamorous, pretty one.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I don't know too much about Mark off my head, but the name would imply like, Hispanic or uh, Latin American.
0: It's it's mentioned later that his mom is is Hispanic.
1: Yeah. And he gets to be the smart strategist. Mm -hmm. And then we have our two white boys, which is okay. But also like Tobias is also working class. And it's quite clearly indicated that he comes from a place like below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. And there is this diverseness there and it doesn't feel in some way oh is this box ticking this is tokenism but the fact that Mm -hmm. these are the ways Kay Applegate chose to characterize these children while keeping in mind on that diversity is encouraging me as we go forward for the stuff I cannot remember and we'll be learning as we go so it it's great that they took some of what could have been stereotypes and just like okay let's do these Mm -hmm. and let's maybe not do what you expect from the jump.
0: Yeah. So. There's there's some quote from Michael Grant, either from an AMA or from his Twitter or something, where someone asks, like, how do you write such well-rounded like women and POC? And he's like, just just write them like they're people, yo. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, The other thing to point out is that uh, Jake crushes so hard on Cassie.
1: Mm-hmm. It's very cute. It's like so. It's it's very like teenager. It's, yeah. young, it's just it's, it's just very cute. It, yeah. fa- and she's not this girly girl. She's jeans and a plaid shirt, and her hair mm-hmm. is short and practical. Mm-hmm. And Jake is clearly like hard eyes over her, yeah. and it's yeah. adorable. I also very much like, and I, I made some notes of this actually. Well, we'll get into some of the other intergroup. Dynamics um, as we go, so we're introduced to our cast of characters. Get a bit of a flavour uh, for who they are, um, and they all decide to cut through the abandoned construction site because it's a shorter way home. Uh, there was going to be a mall, I think, or something built, or a housing estate
0: mm-hmm. uh, that
1: clearly the money ran out, and all the kids are told you don't go through that. And it sounds like all the kids go through that. Yeah. Um. And there's this this great uh, line that Danielle pulled. Um, The kids are just, they're walking their way home. Uh, And sometimes I think about that one last moment where we're all just normal kids. It's like it was a million years ago, like it was some totally different group of kids. You know what I was afraid of right then? I was afraid of admitting to Tom that I hadn't made the team. That was as scary as life got back then. You know, children. (laughs) Children. Babies. Literal babies. Literal babies. Yeah. Um, there was one little detail um, I noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll have to tell me how accurate this is as a predilection for stuff going forward. Uh, there's this line where like, a creaking rusted construction crane that I climbed once while Marco stayed below and told me I was being an idiot. Just like mm-hmm. early precedent for Jake taking risks unnecessarily and Marco calling out him out on it but not stopping him, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Which also made me think about our Animorphs game where our characters are like in their t- early 20s, they're college students. Well, let me tell you, the parallels <laughs> with the original books given that I think none of us had read all of them. yeah, I think a few of us have read some. Um, and it's very funny is my point. Mm-hmm. Also, the fact that none of us picked the leader playbook is very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, it yeah, it's interesting how that's developing. And as I, as we read more of the books, I'm looking forward to seeing how much we accidentally did OG Animorphs with our characters uh, <laughs> as we go. But so the kids are making their way through this construction site and it's Tobias, who uh, who was, as it was, like looking up at the sky rather than where he was going, which is a thing like Jake... Tobias is always like that, just not paying Mm -hmm. attention to what other people are, but looking elsewhere. And there's a light coming towards them. Um, And it's, yeah. what was it? I I pulled this line. um, I looked at Tobias and he looked back at me. We both knew what we thought it was, but we didn't want to say it. Marco and Rachel would have laughed, we figured. And then Cassie is the one who blurts out that it's a flying saucer. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I was wondering about this underscoring the roles that they play, the people that, pay, that are observing, the people that are cynical, and then the person that will happily call it as they see it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Again, economy of storytelling. It'll play good. <laughs> uh, I really like that. This, I didn't write too much down the description of the UFO that doesn't look like a UFO. I think the thing that stuck me is like, like, looked like a minibus, which uh, <laughs> made me smile. um the spaceship lands doesn't crash if i recall correctly i think we would have said if if it it crashed yeah um and they're all just like there watching kind of rapture and marco keeps going they should get somebody none of them do and what i like is that the book underscores that um jake knew that this was an important amazing thing Mm -hmm. um he i knew I he had i knew i had to stay and see it all uh, to which I commented, Jake staying despite his fear, knowing it was important, kid, you're going to break my heart, aren't you? You have no idea, Yeah, isn't that comforting <laughs> thing for your co-host to say to you on episode one <laughs> <laughs> It's great, but um, and one of the things that was described, and I made a note about it later, is this feel none of them, after a point, they all seem like quite happy to be there almost and Tobias is the first to step up and say they won't hurt whatever's in there and -hmm. they get this like response back of, I know, which Mm -hmm. is just like, oh, (laughs) Elfangor. But, um, and this becomes really interesting to me and which is one of the things I really like about Animorphs Already as one of my big things as a person is um, the descriptions of Jake's empathy is fully on display and he talks about feeling safe or like Mm -hmm. getting that vibe and part of that is probably like the andalite tech like when you are brain speaking to somebody i'm assuming you do probably put some emotion over with it Mm -hmm. but i like that it the book made that concentrated effort to underscore jake's emotional maturity in that moment and like feeling and being aware of his emotions too because so often i think male characters are written just like emotionally closed off or not engaging with things Mm-hmm. And that's a cool thing to to read.
0: Yeah, that doesn't I can't think of really that happening at all in this series. Like both Jake and Marco are very emotional
1: young boys. Mhm. All right. Do you want to take over reading the uh Sure. Summary for a bit?
0: Yeah. So, um the Andalite or what we learn is an Andalite comes out of the spaceship, um, and the distraction—the not the distraction—the description, um, of him is awesome. Uh, because so fun fact, initially, uh, the Andalites were supposed to be like little gray men, like kind of the the stereotypical alien type thing. Um, but someone at I think it was Scholastic told, uh katherine and michael that like uh oh, it's too boring uh so instead <laughs> ka made the andalites this <laughs> my first reaction was that someone had cloned a person and a deer together the creature had a head and shoulders and arms that were more or less where they should have been though the skin was a pale shade of blue below that he had fur A mix of blue and tan, covering a four-legged body that really did look like it belonged to a deer, or maybe a small horse. He ducked his head out the doorway, and I could see that even the fairly normal-looking parts of him weren't all that normal. For start, he had no mouth, just three vertical slits, and then there were his eyes. Two of them were where they should have been, although they were a glittery green color that was kind of shocking. But the real shock was the other eyes. He had what seemed like horns, only on the top of each horn was an eye. The horns could move, twisting to point the eyes front and back or up and down. I thought the eyes were bad until I saw the tail. It was a scorpion's tail, thick and powerful looking. On the end was a wickedly curved, very sharp looking horn or stinger. Uh, it's actually a blade. Um, so we get this introduction to Andalites. They're basically blue-furred centaurs with... A long whip-like tail that has a blade on the end of it, and stalk eyes, um, and no mouth. Um. the The really interesting thing I think about this is that you know we learn, we learn a pretty significant amount about the Andalites' culture, um, especially when we read like the Andalite chronicles, um, mm. and there are things that are deep in their culture like because they have these stock eyes and because they have the the scythe like tail um and like it makes me wonder what ka would have made their culture like if
1: mm. they
0: hadn't got this pushback um and they had gone with just boring gray little men um the The flip side of this is that Scholastic shot themselves in the foot, because later when they tried to make a TV series out of this, Mm -hmm. they had to try to make Andalites, and they made the very poor decision of trying to make it live action. Um, So there was one very poorly constructed Andalite puppet. Um, I gotta
1: give credit to how out there an alien design that was when i think about like the tv that was around the time i think x files was starting Mm -hmm. and star trek um and i suppose the freedom of being a visual uh, a book Mm -hmm. is that you could just like okay you don't want that let's go as far in the opposite direction from little gray man as i can yes uh of course and I, i probably gave birth to a generation of people who are into. I just like, you were reading the description, and my brain just went hot. So, shout out to Izzy because I feel like, see, <laughs> so, so we're with me in that moment of just like, yeah, yeah. dig an light. But yeah. the design is so striking and interesting mm-hmm. and also kind of hot. I won't, I'm just, it's very cool <laughs> and evocative. Yeah.
0: Listen, so softly, spoke, softly spoken weird...
1: centaur people that can talk into my head. Exactly. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's very good. Um. <laughs> and led to uh, some very iconic book covers that will come later, and uh, yeah. included. Uh, is it one of the chronicles that has that that art that you'd like to share in the server yeah. that makes Brian yeah. yell yeah. every time?
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's
0: good. Listen, uh, Andalites are monster fuckers. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> good
1: shit. <laughs> but yes, um, this is our first Andalite. And this it's is our first Andalite, and
0: he walks out, and everybody's like really surprised, and, and you get this you actually get this recurring description of like, hey, Andalites look pretty harmless at first, until you see the tail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, this person could kill me without even thinking about it. Um, Tobias is the one who talks to the Andalite first. Uh, His voice was gentle, like he was talking to a baby. He was grinning. I realized I was smiling too. Um, I realized there were tears in my eyes. Uh, And it's you you get this idea of, you know, all of these kids are standing there experiencing this absolutely amazing moment. And you get this one kind of crystal clear, perfect moment of them meeting this alien. And then the alien stumbles and he tells them that he's dying. Um, We get Cassie immediately going into, like, animal rescue mode like, we can make bandages, it'll be fine, because her parents work at a, re- have a wildlife rehabilitation center in their backyard. And so she's grown up, grown up with all this shit. Um, And and Elfangor's just like, no, I'm going to die. <laughs> and everybody's like, what? No.
1: <laughs> I love that, um, like, Tobias is rushing in to try and support him. And Marco yes. is like, we can do, what can we do? We can mm-hmm. do this. Like, He's in problem-solving mode just as much yeah. as Cassie is. Yeah. Um, and he's so chill. No, I will die. The wound yeah. is fatal. It's <laughs> just like, <Yeah>. yep. <sighs> Ugh, this is it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and then he tells them that he's not the first alien to come to Earth. Um, but the other aliens that are on Earth are not like him. They are, in fact, uh, different, and they have come to destroy the Earth. <laughs>
1: It's um, such a wham line and mm-hmm. it's one of the, it's just like the chapter ends and i really appreciate the chapter breaks even though the book is as an adult especially very easy to get through mm-hmm. i like how they choose to have not quite many cliffhangers but just like okay i really need to turn the page and go next yeah um
0: and i i love the the paragraph that comes right after that it was strange the way we all just knew he was telling the truth. No one said no way, or you're making it up. We all just knew he was dying, and he was trying to warn us of something terrible, so like right off the bat, they believe him um, and he exposes for a while uh talking about uh the invading force known as the Yerks um the Yerks are parasites, they invade the brains of their uh, hosts um, and completely take them over. Um, we also get the first instance of Elfangor just like, instead of transmitting words, transmitting pictures. Um, and I think, actually... No, it doesn't mention it here. It'll mention it later. Um, so one of the things that mm-hmm. uh, that um, we learn about Andalite thought speak um, is that here it lo- it sounds like Elfangor is talking s- very specifically in words but later when we when we meet other andalites they talk more in like concepts and images that they transmit as opposed to necessarily perfect words and your brain just kind of translates it into words um which i always thought was really cool and that's something mm-hmm. that i really pulled from when i made Elfangor in dumb kids um but yeah, Elfangor tells them all about the Yerkes. He tells them that the Andalite fleet came to investigate what they thought was a relatively small invasion force, but when they came out of Z Space, um, which is just the it, it it's the
1: in, It's hyperspace, isn't it? It's, it's hyperspace,
0: yeah. When they came out of Z Space, um, they were surprised uh by a very powerful ship. Called the Blade Ship that the Yurks had built. And hidden. Uh, so the Andalites were ambushed. Their dome ship was destroyed. Um, and the only known survivor. Of, that, of the dome ship being destroyed. Is Elfangor. So he came down to Earth. Um, and basically he tells the kids. Like you have to. Like I've sent a message back home. And so the Andalites. Will, will send help for you for your world but it will take them a long time to get here um and so you kids have to tell your people like what the fuck is going on so that they you know you can fight back and marco is the first one who's like no one's going to believe us what are you talking about <laughs> um and so, the endelite basically says, okay, well, you know, um, because I, I'm dying, there's no time to help me, and you're kind of right, like, if you just go out saying that, you know, the Yerks are here, you're just gonna be uh, disbelieved. I'm gonna give you a power. So, he sends Jake into, or actually, he says someone to go, he asks someone to go inside the ship. And, Jake, <laughs> everybody, <laughs> Somehow we all mm. seem to agree it would be me. Actually, I didn't <laughs> agree, but everyone else did.
1: I so love kinda, that. Yeah, so we kind of get this
0: first instance of uh, Jake being told that he's the leader. Um, mm. So he goes in the ship, he retrieves the blue box, the Escafil device, um, and notices that there's a picture of the Andalites family. He gets sad. Um and he brings the box to the Andalite, and the Andalite gives these five kids the power to morph. Um, it is a technology that the Yerks invented where after you touch a creature, you acquire its DNA pattern, and you can then become that creature.
1: Oh, well, I've got the PDF of the book open as mm-hmm. we uh, as we go through, and I love that it's Rachel who's just like, there's something I may be able to help you find yeah, the- what is it? How does it work? Give me the thing. Yep. Um yeah, that that vibe of Rachel being ready to throw the fuck down again, being established so early on. Yep. Is uh, is very good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I also find it interesting through this ongoing bit that uh, Tobias is so, like, locked in on Elf Everyone else is, like, exchanging looks and everything. But, like, Tobias yeah. after, like, yeah, no, you should do it. And Cassie being like, you're yeah, not scared. And Jake being like, I was scared, but I wasn't going to tell her I was scared. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> again, very cute. But um, I just love this. I'm just I'm looking through, the mo- he explains the morphic power. And Marco just like, Pff, okay, Pff, okay, sure. And It's just like I don't know, casually written. Marco is the most accepting person in the world. Just like, yep. Yep. Oh bless, bless this, bless this kid. And he's the he is the skeptic. He's the cynical yeah. one as as yes. they go for. And um, I we were talking about this in the Discord server. Uh, this is something that comes up again and again through this book. Marco strikes me as being like the most sm- savvy. And like the least emotionally intelligent in equal measure in, mm-hmm. in the best way. It I can understand how it's very frustrating, but also I think it makes him super compelling as a character, yeah. even from the jump. hmm So
0: Yeah. Uh and then the Yerks are here. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. um the the Yerks uh begin to land, uh Elfangor gives the kids the morphing power. Um and then he basically tells them to run. Oh, and by the way, never stay in a morph for more than two hours because you'll be trapped forever. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Yerks land. And we, we see Elfangor is really afraid for the first time. Um, the kids go hide. Uh, And while the kids are hiding, Elfengor is like narrating what's happening to them the whole time. So like Elfengor has accepted his death at this point, and he's basically Mm. just throwing information to these kids to give them as much as they possibly can before
1: he's dead. I Um, mean, I don't know about you. Like, I think you were saying how he's fully accepted that he's going to die. The fear that he has isn't for himself. It's very much for the kids in this mm. in this moment just yeah. like yeah i kn- this i think he even knows that it's going to be bad for him yeah but like that's not his concern he's like you need to run away i think yes. that's that's what that fear is coming from yeah so
0: um and remind me once we get to uh the the kind of climax of this scene um, um to talk about the the different theories about whether Elfangor could have been saved or not okay um so we all ran. Tobias is the last one to leave the Andelite side. They have a moment. Um, and then they're all running. They all hide. They're crouching. Aliens begin to come out of the blade ship. Um, and first, the first aliens we see come out of the blade ship are the Hork Bajir. Um, and they are basically very tall. Lizard-like, dinosaur-like creatures uh, with blades everywhere and um, a kind of a beaked face. Um,
1: I will never not refer to them as knife lizards. (laughs) Because it just,
0: (laughs) it feels apt. It is apt. They're knife lizards. The most common one, or one of the most common uh, things they're called in here are uh, walking salad shooters. (laughs)
1: <laughs> amazing amazing
0: <laughs> yeah um and Elfangor tells uh the kids that the hork are good people despite the fact that they look really scary um but all of them have been enslaved by the yurks um and he says they are to be pitied um which really hits me wrong especially with like the introduction to the next aliens that we see where it's just like especially with what we learn later about how the Andalites were involved with the fall of the hork and it's just like,
1: mmm, mm-hmm. bruh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bruh. Oh, cool. <laughs>
0: um, and so, coming back to this book, knowing all the things that I know, it definitely underscores to me, like, to these kids, Elfangor is, like, this untouchable paragon, right? Mm-hmm. But, when I read some of these things, I th- I just think about how flawed as a person Elfangor is, um, mm. and it's really interesting. Uh, then the next aliens that come out are the Taxon Controllers. Um, they are giant centipede-like creatures, uh, twice as long as a grown man, um, and very very large around. They have many 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 legs. They have their the front of their body is just like a mouth surrounded by uh like red jello like eyes um and elfangor says that the taxons are evil he just says the taxons are evil full stop
1: not the fact that they're controlled are evil just they are evil and marco's just like yeah i think i would have guessed that um yeah will asked us to talk about that didn't
0: yeah will 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 did um a is correct uh, this is a super racist line coming from Elfengmore. Um, We get a little bit into the taxons later, but even so, throughout the entire series, they're really treated like this terrifying, terrible species. Um, like, we learn... We we learn that, you know, there was some kind of terrible... Um, Event that happened on the taxon home world that caused a drought and meant that basically for generations all of the taxons were starving um and so like epigenetically they become these creatures with this hell hunger, um as Mac always likes to put it, um where they are ravenously hungry all the time um and because of that and because you know they look like ugly bugs everybody always treats them like they're terrible and we don't really get very many uh perspectives that challenge that even a little bit um and it's it's really uh does a disservice to them there are there are some really 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 good fan works um i'm thinking in particular of uh, someone who wrote a lot of a Taxon Chronicles, um, that, you know, we never got in the, in the main series, but this person wrote fan fiction, that is the Taxon Chronicles. Um, and it is, it's so good and it gives them such a depth that they are never really given the chance to have. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Um, in particular here, Elfangor has personal history with the taxons, I can say. And that definitely colors his, you know, plain no-bones about it language about them being evil. You know, not saying, hey, they're these ravenous creatures that will eat anything. He he just says, yeah, they're they're evil. That's it. <laughs> um and I one thing I didn't even realize is he doesn't even talk about how. You know the tax on controllers are all voluntary controllers. Like, I I'm, I was I was sure that he mentioned that as part of this, mm. but no.
1: I mean, I wonder if that is part of what colors his feelings about them. Mm.
0: It oh yeah, almost certainly.
1: But yeah, I mean, to be fair, if all I had to deal with was being hungry all the time, and I could have opt to have a calming influence in my brain. Yeah. to give like yeah. hi yes I would quite like to feel more in control of myself Yes, what up to feel yeah. something other than hunger like yes please oh I also get to get off this planet yes please yep <laughs> Um, it's it's a very like as we learn more about Elfangor and like the Andalites as a people and Elfangor's the role within Andalite society as well it's just like He's a hella privileged person. Mm-hmm. I think it's real easy to go, I hate these creatures. They are like this. It's just like, well, I think from your position, that's probably a really easy judgment call to make, Elfangor, buddy.
0: Oh, I'm really glad you brought that up. That That's a that's a theme that comes in, especially when we start talking about the um, there There's a really, really important book that kind of goes into exactly that mentality, where it's like, yeah, you're in a really good place to judge their friend. Um, you know, <laughs> with your limbs and sight and ability to interact with the world. Um, yeah, hmm. that's that's a really good point to bring up. <laughs> um,
1: you have something? Nope, I'm just losing track of where we are. It's good. <laughs> it's fine. We're,
0: we're at chapter five. We're chapter five. an hour into this recording on chapter five. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, if we get to the end of this chapter, I'll have a quick bio break, because I'm drinking yeah, yeah. a lot of water as
0: it is a warm day. Valid. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kids are approached by a hork um, and they're very afraid.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we should um, and... bring up this line, actually, on the fear mm-hmm. thing, because... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the kids are, like, hiding behind this wall, like, trying to keep an eye on what's going on. um, And... The kids are hidden, and uh, you highlight this line: um, "He was letting us borrow some of his courage, even though he must have been afraid himself." Um, and then, and even scared to death, with tears running down her face, Rachel had strength to spare. Yeah, which is a uh, a lot. Yeah. Um, what I liked with that is um when and this comes in a little bit later because hopping around, there's this point where she physically like because Cassie understandably does a quick scream when shit starts happening and the, uh, the others keep her quiet but like Rachel is the first to like physically comfort Cassie and mm-hmm. that, just like pulling her clothes but also she reaches out for Tobias as well mm-hmm. I know yeah. I, I, I know enough about this to be like mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's not the first time I did an eyebrow waggle regarding a Rachel <laughs> and Tobias interaction let me be clear but what I found interesting, um, what I highlighted after you said, Don't look at me, I'm emotional, and rightly so, is that Rachel's strength isn't just for herself. She is being strong for other people. Yes. And ain't that really fucking sad? Yep. And also, Mac, I'm looking at you across yep. the ether. Who let's Mac talk plays, about Mac, how- plays <laughs> Mac plays the berserker in our game. Um and uh, uh their character Ariel gives me emotions as well. Yep. Um Yep. Ah, <laughs> uh, just a lot of a lot of emotions.
0: Yep. Just a lot of emotions. Uh but Elphingor gives the kids courage, like literally, like. It's that projected empathy courage.
1: thing, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. oh, thought Thoughtspeak is the best. I fucking love Thoughtspeak. So yeah.
0: Um. And then viscer three
1: appears i like um, how in your notes you put viscer three is here viscer three is always here
0: it becomes it becomes a bit of a joke because like he's present for all of the books yeah and it's just like oh it's the climax of the book viscer three is here of course viscer three <laughs> <III> is here
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: what is he gonna turn into this time um that's also a callback to uh papa Renna because that that's mm-hmm. one of the things that he does in his his opinionated Animorphs book guide
1: Uh
0: Um, but one thing that we like a a really important thing here about the Visser um, if the Visser looked like any normal Andalite he felt different it was like he was wearing a mask only you just knew that under the fake sweetness of the mask there was something twisted and foul and um, it's mentioned a lot that like you can tell when Visser 3 is present because you suddenly just start to feel dread. Um, and it is never explicitly said, but it is widely considered true, that the Vis- just like the Andalite broadcasts courage to the kids, the Visser mm. broadcasts fear. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. That tracks.
0: Yeah. Elfengor tells us that Visser 3 is the only Andalite controller. Um, and he's mean as hell. He starts gloating, um, that he, that Elfangor's here, that he captured Elfangor, um, and, yeah. They, they, they snipe back and forth at each other for a little while. Then, uh, Elfangor attacks the Visser and manages to get a strike in, um, (laughs) <laughs> but then the Hork-Bajir controllers come in and just, like, uh, immobilize him. They destroy his ship. Um, and then the viscer 3 The viscer 3. The viscer begins to morph.
1: Um. <clears throat> it is a very upsetting sounding creature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's it's...
0: It's very, very large um very thick, it's got tentacles it's uh, got teeth a huge as long as your arm and, yeah um, and and this is this is the kid's first introduction to morphing
1: <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah, definitely wouldn't make you a fan yeah. um,
0: um and uh then on page twenty two uh 3, three <laughs> twenty two of this book by the way, mm-hmm. out of 150, uh, Visser 3 eats Elfangor alive. Um just before that, uh, Jake is overcome with emotion and tries he literally picks up an iron pipe and tries yep. to like jump over the wall that he's hiding behind to fight all of these Hork-Bajir and all of these mm-hmm. taxons and Visser 3 mm-hmm. in the body of this horrible thing. Mm-hmm like my son
1: <laughs> yeah i i i I put this boy, so you know
0: <laughs> um but his the Andalite uh tells him to stay back, Marco and tobias uh and Rachel hold him down, um Cassie comforts us, comforts him, she tells him he doesn't want you to die for him, don't you realize he's dying for us um and then Othangor dies. Uh, he's eaten alive. And the quote we get here, at the very end, he cried out. His cry of despair was in our heads. His cry will always be in our heads.
1: Yeah. You know, you know for kids.
0: For kids. These kids uh, are
1: 13. 13-year-old 13 children. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah
0: right now we're actually going to take a quick break uh we're gonna break this book up into two segments uh because this is already running long um i guess i have a lot of feelings about animorphs um who knew who knew uh so join us next time uh where we dive into the rest of this book that isn't just the first 20 pages um we had a um, lot of feelings
1: about the books as a whole to just talk about it's, from the jump, it's true we did
0: we did um so we'll see you next time
1: yeah see you next time